Hello, and welcome to the podcast of Emmanuel Assemblies of God in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at EmmanuelAG.com. How many of you stumbled ever? I mean, everybody sure. Stumbling is a part of life, isn't it? Winston Churchill said this, success is stumbling from failure to failure with no loss of enthusiasm. (laughs) There you go. Gloria Gaither said that we may walk, we may run, stumble, drive, or fly, but let's never lose sight of the reason for the journey or miss a chance to see a rainbow on the way. You know, just because you stumble doesn't mean you're off the path, does it? Just keep going and keep enjoying it. This is my favorite one from Winston Churchill. Men occasionally stumble over the truth, but most of them pick themselves up and hurry off as if nothing had happened. (laughs) Well, it was funny to me. (laughs) Theodore Roosevelt said this, It's not the critic who counts. It's not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of the deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs and comes short again and again and again, because there is no effort without error or shortcoming. Say that again. There is no effort without error or shortcoming but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself on a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least he fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who know neither victory nor defeat. You know, there's, we, there, there's something about a person who steps out to do something, even if he fails. There's something about a person that you learn by going out and challenge, doing something bigger than yourself. Amen? Amen. Proverbs 24, 16 says, The righteous falls seven times and rises again. Right. And James 3, 2. Because, yes, I am speaking out of the book of James today. <laughs> James 3, 2 says, for we all stumble in many ways. We all stumble in many ways. So if you'll go in your Bibles to the book of James chapter 3. This is my last uh, sermon on the book of James. I know. I know you love the book of James. There's a lot more in the book of James we can get to. But I feel like we should spend, you know, four or five weeks in a book. And then we should go on to another book, you know. <laughs> but we'll come back to James eventually, hopefully soon. But uh, I want to talk to you about this passage in James chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. You know, stumbling is a part of life. You know what the number one cause of failure is? The number one cause of failure is trying something. It's real easy to never fail if you never try something. (laughs) So the number one cause of failure is trying So I want to talk to you about this. I want to open up that this passage deals with uh, how we can use our words to direct the course of our life. But I think it's so fitting that that he puts this phrase in here. We all stumble in many ways. 
He says in chapter 3, verse 1, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you, do, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Verse 2, For we all stumble in many ways. Say that with me. Say, we all stumble in many ways. Is that a bad confession? I don't know. It's in the Bible. <laughs> it's, it's a true confession. That's true. We all stumble in many ways. I love the fact that James says this because he's not judging us for stumbling. Right. He's not judging. He's not berating us or putting us down just because we stumble. In fact, if James would have a problem here, it wouldn't be with those who stumbled. He would have a problem with those who stumbled and pretend like they never stumbled. Right? Because the book of James is about getting you to be real. The book of James is about making you honest with yourself and honest with God. Why? So that you can get the help that you need. So you can get the healing that you need. So you can receive the grace of God to get some traction and move forward in the kingdom. Amen? So the, the book of James is about making us real. So he would have a problem not with the person who stumbles while trying something, while trying to follow God. He would have a problem with the person who just pretend like he never stumbled. <laughs> because he says we all stumble in many ways. You know, I don't want to be a church that um, creates an, an environment that promotes dishonesty or hypocrisy. Okay? You know, when, when you start a business today, businesses think very much about what kind of culture the business will have. You, you talk about business culture, you know? Is it going to be people who, who uh, you know, do they work remotely? Do they work together in a group? Are there offices? Are there cubicles? You know, can anybody stop the production line? Does everybody have a voice? Or how's the management work? There's all of these different things that they think about to create a business culture, right? Well, what I don't want to do is I don't want to create a culture in the church where hypocrisy or dishonesty are rewarded or even encouraged. You know, that's been done at times. You get into a group of people where the appearance is more important than the reality. So you have to come and pretend like you've got it all together all the time, right? I don't want that. Do you want that? I want a church where we can be real. I don't want people to have to put on a certain image to feel like they fit in here. You know, if I stumbled, I stumbled. If I missed it, I missed it. If I messed up, I messed up. I mean, there's repentance and there's forgiveness, right? If I got sick, I got sick. It can happen. It doesn't change God's standard. It doesn't change God's word. It's just what I experienced at that moment. I stumbled. I tripped. It doesn't mean that God's word is not true. It doesn't mean that he's abandoned us. But what I want is for us to be able to admit where we are, admit our failures, so we can get the help that we need from God to move forward. Amen? That's good, isn't it? It says we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. I like the fact that James isn't beating us up for missing it. But at the same time, I also love the fact that he doesn't back off from holding up the high standard of perfection. The high standard of perfection is to not stumble in what you say, to be a perfect man, to be able to keep your whole body in check. He doesn't back off the standard in admitting that we miss it sometimes. So what we don't want to do, we don't want to lower that standard to the point where, you know, every, anything goes. We want to keep that standard up there. But if I don't measure up to it, let's, let me not fake. Let me not pretend. Let me go to God and get grace 
so he can help me get there, amen? Because the standard doesn't change. We are destined, you are destined to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. All the things that you see about Jesus in the Bible that you say, man, he is a superhero. I love him for that. That's, that's your destiny to be just like him. He wants you to be like him. He wants you to be like, it says, as he is, so are we in this world. He wants you to represent him accurately. When people look at you, they're supposed to see Jesus. But if we're on the journey and we stumble on the way, I missed it. But I'm going to get right back up and go. Amen? I mean, it's, it's stumbling is not, you know, leaving the path. It's just tripping up. You know, um, we're not talking here about willful defiance. We're not talking about disobedience. We're not talking about, you know, if you're living your life and, uh, you know, you're, you're not headed, you're, If, if, you're, if, you're, if you're not living for God, you're not living for God. You're not even on the path. He's talking to Christians here. You know, I get the idea of stumbling like you're going along, you're going down the path, and you hit something you didn't expect or you weren't ready for. A crack in the sidewalk. You know, your shoe came untied. I used to run, um, and Saturday mornings would be my long run. I'd go out and run for hours on Saturday morning. I'd wake up. I'd be out there at 5 o'clock in the morning before the sun came up. It's a great time to run, but when you're running next to those walnut trees, you know what I'm talking about? Like those walnuts out there in the driveway, you know, those things are, those are enough to turn your ankle. You're running in the dark through a path next to a bunch of walnut trees. You're kind of running in a way. <laughs> where you know you can absorb that if you hit one because you don't want to stumble. But you know, if you would hit something like that in the dark and turn your ankle, man, there goes your running season. <laughs> you know, there goes your training. But what do you do? You don't quit. You get healed up and you go back. You go back. You keep going. As we're walking this journey and we're walking with God and we trip on something, that doesn't mean we've left the path. It just means we made a mistake. And, and James tells us we all do this. And we don't want to be a church that's going to be judgmental when people make mistakes. You know, regardless of the severity, when you stumble, what happens is you get out of rhythm. You lose your footing for a minute. And you have to stop and you have to deal with that situation. But you need to just get up and keep going. You know, maybe there are things that you are doing that you need to quit doing. Maybe there are things that you are not doing that you need to start doing. Maybe there are things that you are doing, but you need to do more of. Maybe there are things that you're doing, but you need to start doing them with the right attitude <laughs> because you're doing them anyway. <laughs> and you don't need just to be happy. <laughs> it needs to come from your heart, right? Amen. <clears throat> but if you're living in defiance of God and you're pursuing wickedness and selfish ambition, that's not what we're talking about. You're not walking with God. You need to go get saved. You need to surrender your life to Jesus. Say, change my heart, put me on the path. Being honest about our shortcomings, like I said, it does not change that standard of perfection. What it does is it allows us to receive the grace to grow toward that. We need to continue to hold up that standard. We need to encourage one another. We need to pray for one another. We need to, but we need to be honest about where we really are and trust that God will make up that difference in our lives. You know, I don't want to be a church where, you know, we can't admit if we're, if we're sick and we need prayer because somebody will say that's a bad confession. You know, I don't want to be a church where, you know, you can't, you know, James says that we should confess our sins to one another. I don't want to be a church where we can't confess our sins to one another because you're going to get judged. 
and talked about and gossiped about and excluded because you're having a problem and what you were was honest, right? Well, let's not be that kind of church. You know there's people in your life that you feel like you can trust and you can tell your, 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 your troubles to, your, your challenges, your trials, your secrets, you know? There's not many people like that, but I would like for everybody in our church to be that so that somebody can come and say, man, I'm having help with it. I need help. I'm struggling in this area. And there's no judgment. There's no remembering. It's confession. Let's pray. Let's get you through it and, and help you grow up into God. You're destined to be like Jesus. I see Jesus in you. Christ is being formed in you. We need to be that kind of, so judge, judgmental spirit has got to not be a part of our church. Amen? Amen. Cannot be here. In Jesus' name, it will not be here. You know, if you need prayer about something, we'll surround you and pray. If you, if you, if you get sick, we'll surround you and pray. We'll, we'll go for that goal, that standard that God has. We'll, do what, we'll, we'll believe for it. We'll agree together. You know, as a servant of God, you know, we, we, I love when we have great times of worship and great response up here. People were praying for people and ministering. But, you know, the real goal is not to have, you know, a big response to the altar or something. The real goal is we want people to be helped. And we're just doing whatever we know to do to help people. You know, you, you talk to us in the parking lot, we'll pray for you right in the parking lot. We'll, we'll, we'll do whatever it takes to help you. That's what our heart is. That's what God's heart is. He just wants people helped. He's not just put, trying to endorse our shows and our programs. He really wants to help you. We really want to be a church where people can be helped. Amen? James 3.2 says we all stumble in many ways. The New International Reader's Version says it like this. All of us get tripped up in many ways. What's that sound like to you, getting tripped up? This is not malicious. This is not rebellion. This is not trying to intentionally sin against God. You just get tripped up. And this says there's many ways that this happens. The CEV says all of us do many wrong things. All of us do many wrong things. I was thinking about that. You know, sometimes, you know, after we talk with somebody or whatever, I'll talk to her in Kim and I'll be like, man, I just, I think I said that wrong. I don't have to repent for being defiant against God. I just have to repent for, Lord, I said that wrong. <laughs> right? We do wrong things. New Testament, well, the most, many of the other translations, your main ones, they say it like this. All of us make many mistakes. Mistakes. I'm glad he doesn't berate us here for making mistakes as we follow him. The proverb I quoted earlier, it says, For the righteous falls seven times and rises again but the wicked stumble in times of calamity. See, it's not your problems that define you. It's what you do in your problems that define you. It's not the falling down that defines you. It's whether or not you get back up again. See, being a Christian is not freedom from all opposition and adversity, right? Think about the wise and the foolish builder from Matthew chapter 7. The wise man built his house on the rock. The foolish man built his house upon the sand. Why? What's the difference? One of them heard the God's word and he did it, put it into practice. The foolish man heard God's word and did not put it into practice. That was the difference between the two. But the storm came to both houses. The wind blew on both houses. The waves beat on both houses. 
the wise man did not build a house that was somehow exempt from the storm. It was tested by the storm and it stood. You know, sometimes you get in trouble for doing the right thing. You know, just because you're in trouble doesn't mean you did something wrong. You know, just ask the disciples. Jesus said, let's get in the boat and go out there in the middle of that lake. And they were obeying Jesus. They were following Jesus when they got in the boat and went out into the middle of the lake. And what happened? The storm came that almost sunk the boat. And without a miracle, it probably would have. They were in the middle of trouble because they were following Jesus. Now, don't get me wrong. Doing sinning, doing things that God says not to will also wind you up in trouble. But just because you're in trouble doesn't mean you did something wrong. There's just attacks from the devil. There's tripping up. There's things you don't see or didn't expect. And thank God that he's not just beating us over the head when that happens. It says in Psalm 91, 15, when he calls to me, I will answer him. I'll be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. Praise the Lord. I will rescue him and honor him. He doesn't even ask you in Psalm 91 why you're in trouble. He says, I'll be in trouble with you. That means when I'm in trouble, God's in trouble. Did you ever imagine God being in trouble? Well, he says he's with me in trouble. We're partners in trouble. <laughs> God is in trouble with you when you get in trouble. He doesn't judge you necessarily for getting there, but he'll help you. He'll be with you and he'll deliver you. I mean, you know, especially if you got in trouble because you're following him. <laughs> How would that happen? You know, yep, you're in trouble, but that's okay. I'm with you. I'm going to help you through it. You know, even Paul learned how to rejoice in his weakness. Go with me to 2 Corinthians 12, starting at verse 9. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. God said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Listen to this. There is a place of grace in your weakness where the power of God rests upon you. Say that again. There is a place of grace in your weakness where the power of God will rest upon you. But here's the thing, if you never admit that you're weak, how can you receive that place of grace? You can minister out of your brokenness. You can, I've seen it, I've done it. Sometimes when you're hurting and going through the worst, you're, you're, you're such a channel for the love of God. I don't understand it, but I've seen it. God will use you greatly if you yield to him in those times of weaknesses. That's why Paul went on to say, for the sake of Christ then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, and persecutions and calamities. It was like, wait a minute, let's not go, let's not go that extreme. <laughs> but he became content with these things. Why? For when I am weak, then I am strong. There is a strength that's beyond you that you get to experience when you're aware of your own weaknesses. And it's okay. It's okay. Do we want to be strong? Yeah. We want to keep going? Absolutely we do. But you know, sometimes when I feel the strongest, when I'm all built up and I'm having a great day and, and everything is going good, you know, I'm just, 
I'm just maybe strong in my, my, my emotions or my flesh and my attitude. And that's a good place to be. But you know what happens when things change and I'm stressed out and my level of interacting with people has gone all the way up and I need that quiet time because I'm, I'm, I'm wired that way, Sam. You know what I'm talking about. I need those down times, you know, um, where I, where I, and I'm stressed out and everything's coming at me. Am I still strong? Has God's word changed? See, we don't want to build our lives just on how we feel from moment to moment because it changes. I want you to build your life on God's word. I want you to be settled on the word that does not ever change. Amen? It's what God has for us. But the goal is not to stumble. Just because we do stumble, that's not the goal. The goal is to get to a place where we can run, make straight paths for our feet so we cannot run, not stumble when we run, but be healed. That's what, that's what Hebrews says. He says, we all stumble in many ways. And listen to this. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. I want to talk to you for a few minutes here about the power of your words. Proverbs 18, 20, and 21 says this, From the fruit of a man's mouth, his stomach is satisfied. He is satisfied by the yield of his lips. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. That is a lot of responsibility to put on your words. From the fruit of a man's mouth, his stomach is satisfied. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. That's a lot of weight to put on your words, isn't it? It's a lot of weight to put on the tongue. A lot of responsibility. Listen as we go on with, a, with a James chapter 2, or chapter 3 here, verse 2. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, also able to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are, they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. <laughs> so that also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. What he's saying here is this. Get this picture. You take a horse. I mean, that horse is strong right? You can put a bit in its mouth. You harness it. What you've done, you've harnessed the strength of that horse to make it obedient to do what you want it to do. You can lead that horse wherever you will. You know, it doesn't matter if you have a headstrong horse. If you got that bit in its mouth, you can lead that horse, right? You can hitch that thing up to a plow or a wagon and you can make that thing obey you. Right. Think about the ships. You know, if you go back into the book of Acts and you read about that shipwreck that Paul had, that was a pretty big ship. I mean, they had men, they had cargo, they had a lifeboat, they had all this going on. It was a big ship. And this thing is a uh, huge, it's got these big sails and it's out there. But what steers that thing is a very small rudder. In fact, without the rudder, the sails would be worthless because the thing would just drift along with the wind and it wouldn't have any direction to it till it hit the rocks and crashed. But you can take that rudder, the pilot of that ship can grab the helm and he can control that rudder and he can put pressure on that rudder and he can determine the course of that ship where he wants it to go. 
in the same way, you can direct the course of your life through your words, through your speaking, through your tongue. That's what he's saying here. Okay? Just like you can direct that horse, you can, you can control that whole horse. You can control your whole body if you can control your words. Just like you can direct a large ship with one hand there, you know? You can direct the course of your life with your words. Your words are steering the course of your life. Even now, it says death and life is in the power of the tongue. We do need to watch our words. There's a lot of responsibility that James places on our words. I got to... We all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. According to James here, the mark of perfection is to never stumble with what you say. If you go back to the, uh, James chapter 1, verse 26, it says, If anyone thinks that he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. So to the degree that our religion, in a good way, our zeal for God, to the degree that that is alive and living and useful is the degree that we're actually bridling our tongue. They go together. But what's the alternative of that is deceiving your own heart. When we think, when we pretend like we're doing better than we are, we're deceiving our own heart. He who thinks he's something when he's nothing, he's deceiving himself. That's what Paul said in Galatians. So I got to ask you this. This is my question for you today. How do you put a bridle on your tongue? I mean, I can visualize the bridle in the horse. I can visualize the rudder in the ship. How do you put a bridle on your tongue? Is it like a face mask? You know? <laughs> You put it over there. So when you speak, it's supposed to catch your words before they go out. It's kind of like a diaper. <laughs> it can't stop it, but it just keeps it from going all over the place once it comes out. <laughs> I don't think that's what God has in mind. <laughs> you want to put an algorithm in your brain so that as your thoughts are coming up and they're about to come out your mouth, you know, it'll flag it as inappropriate. <laughs> Offensive. <laughs> is, that, is that how we do it? Well, that's a lot of work trying to monitor constantly. You can do that for a while when you're around people. But how do you really put a bridle on your, on your mouth, on your tongue, on your words? And the Bible says that your words come from your heart. In other words, it's a heart problem. Matthew 12, 34, Jesus says, You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. He says again in Luke 6, 45, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. Holman Christian Standard Bible, I think, says it like this. The, the good person out of the good storehouse of his heart brings forth good things. And the evil person out of the evil storehouse of his heart brings forth evil. Why? For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. I don't know about you, but I've had old cars old cars growing up and uh when you know that little reservoir that's the radiator overflow yeah. 
And you know, you're driving that and that, that radiator gets hot and all of a sudden it starts spewing out radiator fluid, right? You're not gonna get lemonade out of that because there's only radiator fluid in the radiator. You, you only have out of the overflow of your radiator what's in the radiator, which should be antifreeze. But in my case, in the summer, it was usually tap water because I couldn't afford antifreeze. But what you put in there is what there is to come out. That's what's available. And so if we're spewing forth things out of our mouth that are coming from an unrenewed heart, the answer is not to put the diaper on the mouth. The answer is to change the heart, to change the heart. So I'm going to talk to you about how to direct your life with your words. Number one, if you've never been born again, you use your words you, to call on the Lord to be saved. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Notice that there's agreement here with what you believe in your heart and you say with your mouth. I believe Jesus is Lord. I confess with my heart, or I believe in my heart, I confess with my mouth, Jesus is Lord. There's agreement between the heart and the mouth. So it's not a legalism of just saying words. Faith has to be in your heart and in your mouth because they're connected together. It's just how it is. I got corrected by uh, God for this, and I've shared it before. I'll share it again because it fits. It's been years ago, wait, uh, several years before I even met Rin Kim, which, by the way, tomorrow is our eighth Eighth anniversary, so I don't know. Maybe, maybe we'll go to Dollywood. Yeah, maybe, maybe that's a good idea. Yeah, hopefully it won't be raining. <laughs> it's awesome. Um, but uh, you know, I was I was actually praying. I was complaining to God. I was saying, God, I, I'm I'm uh, you know, I don't feel like I, I have not met anybody yet. I'm still single. I'm not doing the work I want to do. I I was really complaining to him. And I was really kind of accusing him, if you want to know the truth. And he spoke to me so clearly. I mean, you know, there's times that you just hear, it's a thought, but you just, it didn't come from you. It came with such authority and such weight, you knew it was God. And he just said to me so clearly, he said, your problem is you're filled with fear and unbelief. I mean, I love God. He can be bold with you. He said, your problem is you're filled with fear and unbelief. And, and, and my first reaction, because I've learned about speaking and confessing and stuff, my first reaction was, that's not true, God. I've never said anything wrong. It didn't matter what I said. It matters what was in my heart. And as in that time of complaining to him, what was in my heart was coming out. But thank God he was gracious and he showed me what I needed to do. And I'm telling you what, I received it right then. I realized that what he said was true and it changed my life. It set me on the trajectory all those years ago that you know finally brought Rin Kim, in, Rin Kim into my life. It brought me into this place here with you guys. It has been very, very awesome since then. But I received that correction. But that's the thing. If I would just deny it and keep my confession so that I looked right, you know, everybody knew I was right because I had all the right words. I would have never come to that place of grace where I could receive that. And that's what we need. We need to be able to come to that place of grace where we can receive whatever God has for us. Let him build himself into our lives and then let that come out of our mouths and come into our lives. Amen. 
So number one, you use your mouth. You call on the Lord, name of the Lord. All who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. He'll give you a new life. He puts you in the kingdom. He puts you on the path. Amen? Number one. Number two, be intentional about what you allow in your heart. This is what Proverbs 4 calls guarding your heart. Remember the verse? My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your height your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. And listen to this, and put away from you crooked speech and devious talk far from you. Guard your heart. Be intentional about what you allow to be in your heart. It's called renewing your mind in Romans 12 too. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. And it's called taking captive every thought in 2 Corinthians. You know where he's talking about spiritual warfare. He says, 2 Corinthians 10.5, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. So be intentional about what you allow in there. Be intentional about it. And number three, speak to yourself. Speak to yourself. You can use your words to direct your life by speaking to yourself. See, we're, we're constantly today, we're constantly bombarded by voices, you know. I remember when I got my first Walkman, okay? Now, for those of you who are younger than me, the first Walkman I had was this big. It was a cassette player. It was cool. It had a headphone jack, and you had to have it because you had an FM digital tuner on there, and that headphone cord was the antenna, okay? And then you had the little headphones with the wires that went over your head like that, right? And then you opened it up, and it had a cassette tape with, with auto-reverse. Because before auto-reverse, when the tape ended, you had to take it out and turn it over. But with auto-reverse, it would just go back and forth and play all day. Okay, I must have been, I think I was like 19 or 20, seriously, when I got, finally got a personal, you know, listening device, a Sony Walkman. I, I spent a hundred bucks for it, I think. It wasn't cheap. They weren't cheap, but I got the good one. Those $35 ones, all they do was eat your tapes. I got me a Sony, a Sony Walkman. But you know what? I mean, I was 20 years old before I started listening to stuff. I mean, now I feel bad for my kids, man. I'm, I'm really concerned. I try to limit that screen time and all that, but we've got all these screens that just follow you around constantly. And I mean, I mean, I know people, I'm not going to say who, but you never talk to them without having, you know, that they have ear things in their ears constantly. You know, it's like, are you picking one up? <laughs> you, you have ear things in your ears constantly. I mean, how do you even have a conversation, interact with people? You know what I mean? It's different. I, my kids go, I'm bored. I'm like, good. I want you to be bored because I want you to use your imagination. I want you to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit and even, even your own voice. I want you to be bored. I don't want you to be plugged into stuff all the time, you know? But where do you go to get away from it? When I used to do uh, cabinets, um, I'd go to a house to do an install or something. I'd have a TV like this just playing all day long. I mean, you know, the morning shows and then all the daytime television stuff, uh, you know, Ellen show and Oprah and was it Dr. Phil and all that stuff, just constant. I'm like, how do you, how do you have this going on constantly and still be sane? 
That's what I, I mean, I'm sorry if you have it going constantly and you think you're saying, I don't know, tell me how you do it. But um, I was like, how in the world do you do that? It's just this constant bombardment. You can't even go to pilot right now and get gas without there being a screen and somebody telling you something, trying to sell you something or give you, telling you about the latest variant of the coronavirus or something, just constantly feeding into your eyes and into your ears. So we've got to really be intentional about putting God's word into our heart and into our lives because it doesn't just happen. You know, there, there was a time we didn't have all this stuff, right? And you know, you go to church or whatever, you'd hear the reading of the word and then you go walk two miles home. And then you spend the day in the field or whatever. You know how I many time to meditate on nature and things of God? It's, it is a constant attack on our minds and on our hearts. And so we have to be even more intentional about, intentional about putting God's word into our, into our lives. Psalm 119.11 said this, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. This is King David, I think. There's several authors of the Psalms, but I believe this is one of David's. He says, I've stirred up your word in my heart. How did he get it in there? I want to tell you, David would talk to himself. And here's how I know. Listen to Psalm 43, 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Who is he talking to? He's talking to himself. You remember Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Who's he telling to bless the Lord? He's writing a psalm to his soul. He's writing a psalm to himself. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. He's saying he's probably in a time of difficulty, and he's saying, David, you remember, he forgives all your sins. He heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from the pit. Remember this, O my soul. He, he crowns me with steadfast love and mercy, and he satisfies you with good, and he renews my youth like the eagles. Talk to yourself. Quote these verses to yourself. Why are you acting like that? You know you have a redeemer. He's watching over you. He's got a plan for your life. This is not your destiny. This is not what you're supposed to do. This is where I'm going. I'm going on with God. Amen? So what I want to do here in the few minutes we have as we close, and as the ushers get ready to serve the communion, I want to just read some verses to you, and I want to confess these. Will you confess these with me? 1 John 1, 7. Listen to the word. And go ahead, ushers, as you're, whenever you're ready, as you're ministering the, passing it out, we'll go ahead and minister the word. It says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So the blood of Jesus, his son. We're about ready to take communion. We're going to partake of the body and the blood of the Lord. So think about these verses. Think about the blood that cleanses us from all sin. And this is how I might do this. Say this after me. The blood of Jesus cleanses me from all sin. Thank you. The blood of Jesus gives me true fellowship with the body of Christ. I walk in the light. And as I walk in the light, the blood of Jesus cleanses me. 
It doesn't cleanse me from just some of my sins. It cleanses me from all of my sin. So that I no longer come up short before God. Look at Ephesians 1.7. Ephesians 1.7 says this, In Him we have the redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespass, according to the riches of His grace. Say this with me. I have received forgiveness for my sins. I walk in the riches of His grace. He has rescued me through His blood. Sin is no longer my master. I've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. Go with me to Hebrews 9.14. It says, How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify your conscience from the dead works to serve the living God? Say this after me. I am a servant of the living God. The blood of Jesus cleans my thoughts. The blood of Jesus purifies my conscience. I serve God. Hebrews 10, 19 through 23 says this. Therefore, brothers... Since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Say this with me. Jesus opened up a new and living way for me to come to God. I draw near to God in full assurance, in faith, believing that I am pure in God's sight because of what Jesus has done. He has cleansed my conscience and he has washed my body with pure water. I will not waver. I will not back down from this confession. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Say this with me. I am a new creation. The old is gone. The old is no longer part of me. No longer part of my life. The old me does not dictate the future me. Because I am made new in Jesus Christ. Amen. It says in, in Roman or Revelation 12:11, they conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. Say this: I've given my life to God. I don't love my life in this present world. But my life is now His life. He lives through me. Like Jesus laid down His life for me, I also lay down my life for Him. 
And I have a testimony. My testimony is that Jesus has rescued me. Jesus came after me. Jesus saved me from sin and the power of the devil. Whenever the devil tries to attack, I hold that testimony against him. I hold the blood of Jesus against him because I overcome him by the blood of the lamb and the word of my testimony. Isaiah 53, 5 says, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. Say this with me. I have forgiveness of sins because Jesus died on the cross for me. I have peace. I have peace in my mind. I have peace in my heart. I have peace with God because Jesus took the punishment for me. I have healing in my body because Jesus took the wounds for me. Why so downcast, O oh my body? Put your hope in God. Jesus is your healer. Let's read one more together. It says in Colossians 1, 21 and 22 that you who were once alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh. That's what this is representing, his body of flesh in his death broken for you in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Say this, I have been reconciled to God through the death of Jesus. Now he presents me to the Father as holy and blameless. I am blameless before God, forgiven, clean, pure, set free to serve him all my days. Isn't that good? Praise God. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. For I received what from the Lord, what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took the bread, if you'll take the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. This body was broken for you. He broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread together. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup, it is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's take of the cup together. Praise you, Jesus. Father God, we thank you for your blood. We thank you for your body shed for given for us, broken for us. Father God, we know that we are made right with the Father because of what you've done. You've made the way through your flesh for us to come to God. You didn't have to do it, but you rescued me. And for that, I am eternally grateful. Oh, and it to the heart.